Welcome to Just Go Grind, a show that focuses on helping you launch and grow a business and navigate the ups and downs of entrepreneurship. I'm your host, Justin Gordon, and in this episode, we have Brent Baltimore, who's a principal at Graycroft, a full life cycle investor based out of New York and Los Angeles. In this episode, we talk about Brent's journey into venture capital, becoming a Kauffman Fellow, Black VC, what startup founders need to know about raising capital, equity splits, scaling, and much, much more in this episode. As always, these show notes are at justgogrind.com slash podcast, where you can get links to everything mentioned in this episode. And you can support the show, help more people listen to it and find out about it by leaving a rating and review over in Apple Podcasts. I would very much so appreciate that. This episode is brought to you by Hawk Media, a full-service outsourced CMO based in Santa Monica, California, providing guidance, planning, and execution to grow brands of all sizes, industries, and business models. Hawk Media is recognized by Inc. as one of the fastest-growing marketing consultancies, and their collaborative process, a la carte offering, and month-to-month fee structure give clients the flexibility they need to boost digital revenues and marketing ROI. Hawk Media, the company, has serviced over 1,500 brands of all sizes, ranging from startups like Tomorrow Melon, SIO Beauty, and Bottle Keeper, to household names like Red Bull, Verizon Wireless, and Alibaba. And also, I had the founder and CEO of Hawk Media, Eric Huberman, on the podcast in episode number 23, if you want to take a listen. And to get a free consultation, head on over to hawkmedia.com and be sure to mention Just Go Grind. Without further ado, here is Brent Baltimore, a principal at Graycroft. Brent, welcome to the show, man. Hey, thanks for having me. Appreciate it. I appreciate you taking the time to come on here and having experience both in the venture capital world as well as uh, in the startup scene as an operator is is unique. And I I love having that perspective on the show. For for context for people who aren't as familiar with Graycroft, can you tell us a little bit more about like what areas the funds focus on and kind of the high level of Graycroft? Yeah, definitely. Definitely. So we've we've been around since kind of early 2000s. We're a seed to pre-IPO uh, firms are definitely a life cycle firm. Our our strategy is to you know be one of the the first institutional investors and continue to invest through uh, you know through an IPO or, or, or an exit, what have you, um, and continue to do that. We actually just closed our sixth early stage fund and third growth fund. Um, I'd say we're probably about fifty percent enterprise, fifty percent consumer. Um, we, we live on the coast, uh, office in LA, office in New York, but invest all over the country here. And, uh, about 10 to 12% of our portfolio is outside of the U S with this all, I, there's a lot to go through and I'll, we'll definitely dive into a lot on the founder side as well, but I'm just taking a massive step back. Why did you want to get involved in venture capital in the first place, Brent? Wow. <laughs> that's a, that's a good <laughs> question. Um, you know, honestly, um, I had never heard of my, I guess my path to venture is a little strange and that I'd never really heard of it. Um, for me, you know, it was about kind of really just being in love with, with technology, um, and entrepreneurship, um, and having had like those, those sorts of experiences prior to being introduced. I I was actually coming out of, I'd started a bunch of companies like growing up and in college, but nothing, nothing software driven. Uh, I was coming out of uh, investment banking at the time. And I mean, at the time, this was, I mean, Zynga was huge. And I'm like from the <laughs> LA area. And, you know, I wanted to get into like entertainment and all of that. And so I was like, oh, wow, Zynga is great. And I'm going to start taking these trips up to the Bay. And I did that. And so I started going to uh, GDC, the Gaming Developers Conference. 
ran into a you know a, you know a recruiter from actually a Japanese gaming company, and she was the first one that introduced me to venture capital. She was like, "Hey, like a lot of you, you bankers, you leave bank, uh, you know, banking, and you go into like venture capital." And I was like, "I had no idea what I'd never heard the term." <laughs> and so uh, I, I went home, googled it, and there just happened to be a movie. So like naturally, I wanted to be in the space, and so I watched this movie called Something Ventured, and I was like, "This sounds." super interesting let me uh let me try that that's incredible and what were some of the things about about it that were intriguing to you i mean now it's a different time in terms of i think a lot more people are familiar with venture capital people are trying to get into it but mm -hmm. for you at that time you were in banking and you kind of heard about this then what were some of the aspects of, of venture capital that were appealing to you yeah yeah it's, it's, it's one of those roles where um you know you get to you know get pitched all of these different like amazing Kind of take over the world, change the way humans live, um, ideas, um, and that was always like something really awesome for me. Like when I watched that initial movie, and then, <laughs> <laughs> and then now, like being in the space for you know for a number of years now, um, you know, it's it's there's there's a lot more <laughs> underneath the surface <laughs> than just that. But um, for sure, but it, but when it comes down to, it, I mean, it really is like you know if you want to you know, be in a position to be able to, to partner with these folks and really hop into the trenches and help build stuff that changes the way humans live. Um, I think it was, a, it was just an awesome, you know, opportunity, uh, you know, especially coming from banking uh, with a kind of more finance sort of skill set that, um, you know, that was still applicable. And I felt like it's tangible for me. Yeah. And it is, that is such a massive appeal for people. I think trying to get into venture is really seeing all the different things happening within uh, the different industries that people are interested in. And I've, I've definitely get to see that from the podcast, interviewing people who are I mean, at the cutting edge of some VR things, uh, healthcare related uh, things, and like all over kind of uh, the industries uh, that I've interviewed people in. And it's so fascinating. Even like the types of things that people are trying to do, you're like, wait, what? You'd like to take a step back and be like, that's incredible. Like, how are you doing this? Exactly. And that's always been fascinating to me as well. And and to continue kind of the, the story from there, so you want to get into VC. And then how did you end up at Detroit Venture Partners? Um, so a couple, a couple different ways. So I had, um, been introduced to the firm actually two, two ways. Um, I ended up going, uh, and joining a, a uh, a, what at the time was a kind of a startup in itself, uh, called Venture for America. Uh, mm. and really what it was is similar to kind of TFA, uh, VFA was more so focused on, uh, bringing innovation and entrepreneurship to, you know, cities that, uh, you know, that don't typically have young folks coming in and, and, and building that out. And for me, um, once, you know, I, I was pretty gun ho on joining a venture fund, like specifically, <laughs> and um, it just happened to kind of meet um, kind of at the convergence of both of those, like the opportunity was the convergence of both of those, uh, uh, both those aspirations. And so that's how I ended up at uh, DVP specifically. And you were, you were helping them raise their first fund as well there? Yeah. So when I joined, um, DVP was a family office, um, large family office, but a family office for uh, this guy, Dan Gilbert. It's a founder of Quicken Loans. They actually, uh, IP, I think the parent company IPO here recently. Um, but yeah, so it was a small team. Um, they were kind of investing, uh, the majority of Dan, uh, well, the majority of the fund was Dan Gilbert's, uh, kind of personal capital. And, um, yeah, that was my, kind of first role was helping to come on and 
start to, uh, you know, support a lot of the uh, fundraising initiatives and, uh, you know, kind of, I remember putting together <laughs> our first kind of templates for the fund and like really kind of like the business of venture capital is, is where I, I kind of focused, I say for the first four or five months and like having that sort of initial exposure, like having that experience be my initial exposure to the space has definitely shaped uh, you know, just how I think about, you know, innovation and uh, venture capital as an asset class, um, as it has as quickly become over the last uh, many years here. Yeah. And I don't think a lot of people understand really the business behind venture capital. Can you just tell us a little bit about some of the things you're working on there and some of the, the back office things that maybe aren't aren't talked about as much? Because I'm just kind of curious about about that side. Because we hear about, okay, obviously, you're choosing companies to invest in. Yes, I think at a very high level, people understand that. But take me through like the business of VC and kind of that a little bit as well. Yeah, uh, yeah, for sure. So, um, so I mean, I guess the, the the typical setup is well, a setup from like an institutional or institutionally backed uh, venture firm as you're going out to, you know, uh, you know, public and private, you know, potentially large LPs, whether that be a university endowment, whether that be a large corporate, whether that be a pension fund, whether, you know, teachers or, um, you know, what have you. Um, and you're asking, you know, going to them with a, uh, you know, a PPM, uh, private place of memorandum and saying, hey, look, like this is, these 40 pages or so, or what have you <laughs> lay out, uh, who we are as a team, uh, you know, what our investment strategy is going to be, how we're thinking about like the business model of the fund, you know, here's where our experience was prior. Here's where our competitive advantage is. I mean, VCs very much so have to raise money, no different than founders, right. Um, and, start, yeah. and leaders of startups. And so, um, that's what that process is about. And I mean, I think it's important for me, it, you know, it taught me a lot of things, but what I really held on to, um, uh, is, you know, you were, you know, fiduciaries, right? Like we are a fiduciary responsibility to manage, um, capital on the behalf of, in some cases, you know, police officers and teachers, uh, and firefighters and what have you, right? Like this is your, this yeah. is their, their, that family's, you know, pension and that family's kind of trajectory, right? And so this is, you know, as much as there's a lot of kind of glitz and glam, it seems at times with venture, this is, you know, serious stuff. Um, and uh, we're definitely, uh, you know, extremely focused on managing to, you know, outsize returns, you know, for those folks. Yeah. And in your in your career, looking at going from investment banking to VC and then going to the operator side and coming back to VC again, the, the operator since you you had as well in between there, why did you end up doing that? I'm curious. Yeah. Um, that's a really good question. So um, I guess, I guess it's, it's two-pronged. One, I, I had, again, like I'd started some companies prior uh, with friends, some just like on my own. And so that, that, you know, my parents were, you know, my mom had used to run a Kind of bath and body shop, and it, you know, I it was always that kind of entrepreneurial vein has always kind of been there. Um, yeah. But after getting into the seat as a you know a venture associate and uh, you know helping out where you, where you can and, and sourcing and, and just kind of seeing a little bit more of the game. Again, I had never actually built a software company before. A lot of these were what I think a venture firm, a classic venture firm, would call like a <laughs> lifestyle business, right? So it's not necessarily sure. venture backable. Um, 
And, uh, and for me, it was, you know, I kept this question kept popping on my mind is like, how can I help, um, or, um, you know, advise in some capacity as I continue to kind of grow within this space. I've never actually advised, you know, technology companies if I never actually built one myself or been a part yeah. of that process. Right. And there's, I mean, this goes back to like it's an old age sort of <laughs> argument of do you need to have operational experience or not? And it seems like the numbers always come out to like roughly 50 50 in terms of like venture folks that just have like pure finance, like no operational background and those that do have something. Uh, but for me, I, I just felt like I needed to hop into the seat um, and uh, and was super excited to do so. So, yeah, it's something to be said for having that experience to then be able to talk to founders in a, a whole different way. You have just way more perspective and context yep. um, around it. And I, I was talking to Carl, Al, Carl Almar on the show from M13, oh, yeah. and he helped you know multiple companies uh, grow to $100 plus million revenue. Him talking to a founder, I mean, the level of like, Oh, he's been here before. It's so much higher than anyone else because you know DigitalOcean got to 250 million plus in revenue exactly. uh, monthly. You know, over over annually in revenue. Another company he started was like 125 million plus, and it's like that type of experience is so valuable to founders to understand. Like he had to, I think, redo his whole entire team basically um, at one point in time when one of his startups and I was like, how do you go through that? You only know from that experience, uh, which I think is really important for people to understand. I think Rick Smith, who I was just talking to as well on the show, was mentioning similar things around the operating experience first is really helpful to be able to have that perspective. Definitely. And, and from that, then understanding like your journey, and I definitely want to get into more, uh, some more actionable things as well for startups uh, later on, but I'm curious as to how them... You went from the, the VC then into getting the operator experience, but then also deciding to get the MBA. Yeah. Why did you do that as well? Yeah. Yeah. So um, I actually had gone back and forth about the decision a few times, uh, deferring, <laughs> my, uh, deferring my admittance uh, a year and, and considering doing, it, doing, it, doing another deferral. Um, and so the back end there is, um, so I, you know, I left uh, DVP. I'd actually uh, helped start a company at the time in the content management space before I left called Turn Pro and um, ended up uh, kind of rolling off of that. And, and those guys went on to build it to you know, amazing success and ended up getting acquired by a company called Smartsheet a couple of years ago. Um, and, and, and so after that, I um, joined early uh, the early team at a company called Operator. And what we were doing is this is kind of like the early conversational commerce wave of like 20, I would say 2014, 2015, 2016. This is back when um, like Facebook M and Butler and all of these yeah. other sort of products. So those are all kind of, uh, we were in that space as well, right? And um, ran Biz Dev and Growth there and, and just loved it. I mean, being there is like you're part of the first 10 and seeing the company grow and you're raising rounds and I've... <laughs> moved out to New York and built our team there and came back. I mean, it was just like a whole different experience. Um, and, and really what I, what I loved about it was it was like my first kind of introduction to machine learning. Right. Um, and so I ended up leaving there. Um, and uh, after a couple of years and, and joined a company called Nementa, which is an artificial intelligence research company. And so zero product, I mean like true, <laughs> true <laughs> research. Right. And so it's a yeah. lot of reading, a lot of writing and we're, you know, licensing these algorithms, reinvesting in, in, in research, right? So uh, completely different experience. But really what that taught me is like, it, it, you know, when you're the, you know, you're the BD guy with like the, you know, 
investment banking and VC sort of background and you're surrounded by legitimate, you know, neuroscientists and, <laughs> and research oriented machine learning engineers and, you know, and researchers and you're like being in a fly on the wall there. I was just like, wow, like I need to, I want to get closer to like hard, a hard technical skill set. Um, I don't aim to be a, you know, a machine learning researcher myself, but I, I want to get close enough where if I ever wanted to get back into the startup game and start something of my own, um, you know, I could do more than like the go to market BD stuff. And there's nothing yeah. wrong with that. Like that stuff's great being a launcher and all like that's, that's amazing. It's an awesome experience. I loved it. Um, but I just wanted to kind of get more closer to product. Right. And um, so I actually went back. Uh, to school and like very purposefully chose to go to Booth uh, because of the focus on uh, because of their focus on e econo uh, economics and so I, I yeah. majored in econometrics and statistics there um, learned R spent some time with Python I like really tried to just kind of close the gap a little bit um, a, from a, from a technical standpoint when it came to uh, uh, when it came to data manipulating. Yeah, something you said for having that that hard skill set, and I'm thinking I think of it as like enough to be dangerous. Yeah, so, exactly. <laughs> you, you know, if you look at someone, uh, this is a very very extreme example. Elon Musk knows a ton about a lot of things, so it's kind of hard to say. But he does have he's not the best in the things he does, though. In a lot of ways, like in a lot of the technology, there's other engineers who, in theory, are better at one of the particular areas. But he knows so much about those things to understand the full the full picture essentially and i had interviewed someone who worked at tesla on autopilot which is basically yep. one of their top priorities uh and he was mentioning how yeah elon doesn't always know more than each engineer but the full picture was okay this car has to be under x price and so we can't give you extra lidar sensors to do that you have to figure it out another way <laughs> and it's like understanding the technical skills of that allows him to do that. And so uh, I think that's important to people understand if you're starting a company and understanding some of the technical sides as well, depending on what the industry is, can help you as a founder to have the bigger picture in mind as well. Definitely. And and then from that then, Brent, so obviously you, then you, you intern as well you, at Prisco Group uh, on the VC side, and then Greycroft happens. So take me through how uh, you decided specifically on, on Greycroft or how that even came about. Yeah, no, so... Um... So Greycroft is one of the few firms that kind of runs runs an actual process for, for internships. Yeah. Um, and so I had uh, uh, had gone, I'd spent, yeah, spent some time with Pritzker and then in, in the Chicago and had started to kind of recruit. Um, and at the time, it was like really, I, mean, I was kind of juggling whether I wanted to go back and, and, and try to build something or um, or go back and uh, go back and venture. Um and really for me, like I was looking for like the right spot. And I feel like a lot of folks, um, you know, a lot of, you know, like old mentors of mine or just people in general, always like, oh, it's all about the people and you got to find the right place. And, and for me, um, especially coming from the startup world, like, yeah, it's definitely about the people. It's, it's definitely about finding the right place, but it's also about the role and like what you can learn. Right. And, yeah. and for me, I felt like the opportunity uh, with Greycroft, um, as an intern and, and just the, the, the work and everything would, would help introduce me to a, you know, a platform firm, um, that had been, been around for a while, um, and had a very unique, uh, business model in terms of being, you know, very flexible, um, you know, the board seats aren't, you know, required. It was a very different, kind of model and it tied into you know my initial thoughts around 
uh, initial introduction rather to to venture with DVP. It was you know we were we were having the same discussions like how do you build a model that went <laughs> right like how do you and like and this always been more my mindset and so that's what I, I originally identified with just not actually you know before talking with the team and then obviously went through like a recruiting process and all that and I was like oh wow like this seems interesting uh, I was excited to go to New York for the summer you know it, it just felt like a it felt like a good fit yeah and to close the loop uh, a little bit then on your your journey. Then also in June of this year, at least the Kaufman fellows, how did that come about? How did you decide to kind of go that route as well with being a member in class 25? Yeah. Yeah. Um, that was just, you know, super fortunate, you know, opportunity, right? I mean, again, like I didn't say this earlier, but another reason why I think being, whether you're a builder or an operator or an investor or what have you, um, in the early technology space, you know, it's, it's one of those spaces where you are always, always learning. Um, and then, and for me, I, I wanted to have that experience on the investor side, right? Like you learn a lot. I've learned a ton from partners that I work with, from my colleagues and, uh, you know, from folks that I've co-invested with. And, you know, you learn a, you learn a ton. Uh, what I love about Kaufman is, is two things, uh, or at least the, the opportunity and why I really, you know, try to pursue it. Um, was one, it's, you know, you're, you're put into a kind of this pool of people that are, you know, are you know, on a trajectory, you know, at, inside of their firms or their, you know, their partners or founders of their own firms or, you know, what have yeah. you, but you're there to, to share knowledge and you're there to help each other grow. Right. Um, and it was that opportunity that, that made it super exciting. I think even more importantly, um, is I, I very, very strongly identify with the mission and the culture, right? And uh, especially in, in, a, in a, you know, as, as VCs become more, more is, VCs become more popular, it's more front of mind <laughs> for folks like the, you know, the ethos of Kaufman is, is, you know, the star of the show is the founder. Yeah. Period. I very, very strongly believe that. Um, and it, it is, we are here to be support and to be, you know, silent, you know, advisors. We are not the experts. Um, we, we're here to help. Um, and yeah. so I really, really uh, very strongly believe in that. And, you know, for those two things, that's, that's what made me super excited to uh, try to go through the process and, you know, super fortunate that it worked out. With that as well, I mean, what is the the structure of Coppin Fellows in terms of uh, the communication week to week, month to month? Uh, how is it kind of how, what what is it like? I'm just curious. Yeah, no, it, it's um, it's great. It, you know, it's it's where we have you know some formal opportunities to kind of get together as a as a larger group, uh, with the full class, which is which is always great, um, and, and just opportunities to kind of learn a lot about like yourself, right? Again, like it's it's about learning about the, you know, the, the craft of venture capital, right. But it's also about understanding, you know, where you fit within that craft and what is it that, you know, that you're amazing at, uh, and how do you yeah. build that skill set? And then what is it that you're, you know, you're terrible at, <laughs> right. And, and, and how can you, how can you pick up the ball and move quicker in, in those areas and get better, uh, you know, really in those areas as well. And so, uh, there's a bunch of, you know, uh, larger events that that uh opportunities to, to attend and then there's some smaller ones that are you know more uh you know smaller group events that are also great uh to to be involved with as well 
That's awesome. And actually another former guest on this show, Blaine Vest is in the same class, I believe. Oh yeah. Uh, that's great. Yeah. 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 And we've actually we've chatted a bunch since. And, uh, I remember he, he said that he got in as well. And I was looking, I was like, wait, Brent also is now in coffee. Yeah. Like, that's <laughs> interesting that you guys are both in that now, which is great to, to hear that. And then, uh, I wanted to have that kind of full story in, in these first 25 minutes to give perspective to people as to one, who you are and the investor you are, but also the experience you have to then lead into, helping startups. And so on that end as well, I'll start with the capital side, obviously being an investor. I mean, what are some things uh, an early stage founder needs to know around raising capital? Let's just say maybe it'd be like the seed round or even a pre-seed. I know you're investing kind of seed on the whole kind of journey, but what are some things that founders should know around the the raising capital side of things? Yeah. Yeah. So big, uh, I'll take a cut at it and then, uh, you know, feel free to, (laughs) feel free to cut me off because this this is a big question. Um, You know, look, there's a talk to founders, you know, a lot in, in terms of like in focusing on like fundraising, especially in like today's environment. Um, and honestly, you know, my advice hasn't changed much. I would say the biggest thing is really understanding the landscape of the folks that you're reaching out to. Right. Um, and yeah. what I, what I mean is, is like, so for me, I'm, we're obviously, you know, we, we do some consumer, we do some enterprise. I like Brent is more so a hundred percent focused on enterprise, right? So if yeah, uh, understanding that and like doing the doing the, the diligence and the work from the founder's point of view um, is is super super helpful because um, you want to you know want to be pitching or selling really to the right buyer or to someone that is actually willing to buy, right? Yeah. Um, so you can have that conversation. Um, I think. Secondly, even kind of getting deeper on that, and it's all right. Well, where does it seem like you know Brent has been spending his time, or whoever has been spending their time, um, and um, are they the right investor for me? Um, and like to kind of dig uh, even deeper on that that question is you know someone the right investor for you. You know, one of the questions that I I, that I basically that's that's the question that I ask every founder or every pitch I hear. That's my last question. It's like, hey, based on you know where the company is and and your you know and, and its trajectory, you know, really, you know, what unlocks value for you at this stage, right? And I feel like it's it's such a open ended question. I I tend to get a lot of different types of answers <laughs> to that, um, but I, I feel like there's no bad answer. It's just that you know when someone says like I'm you know I really just need funding, um, you know, look, I, I think there's a lot of folks out there that are amazing uh investors and partners like financial partners um but in terms of like how how we work you know our our value add is very much so on bd and operations and go to market i i I frankly don't want to be just a you know financial partner i i want to hopefully view uh have you know founders that that we work with and i that i partnered with in the past view me truly as someone that is in the trenches with you know, helping to build up yeah. the business. And so if if that's not necessarily something that someone's looking for, then we may not be the right, the right group. And so that's just in terms of finding, uh, you know, finding uh, uh, the right person. I think that's step one um, in telling, telling that story uh, and um, maybe getting into the, the story portion of it is, is really trying to, I always try to boil this down into like my one liner is you want to find your process. <laughs> And like, there's so much behind that, right? But like, it, that's in terms of timing of your round, right? That so if you're if you're you know you've been you know say you're you know pre-seed, 
company getting ready to raise a seed round, you've raised a, you know, maybe a $300,000 pre-seed or what have you. And like, you're running out of money next month. That's probably too late to, yeah. <laughs> to, to start having these discussions. Right. And like the market yeah. moves fast. I mean, so maybe I'm wrong about that, but you know, I definitely, I, I'm the type of person I, I like to, you know, spend the time, really understand the whys behind, you know, you know, why we're up into the right or, you know, we're, uh, we're, we're moving in that direction. Right. Um, so I think owning the process starts with, you know, starts with timing and, and developing those relationships. So I, so reach out when you don't need anything, right? Like, so when it's genuinely, you know, we just raised and, uh, we're, we're not looking to raise, but I saw you made in th- this investment, or I think you could be helpful in this, you know, area. Do you have, you know, 20 minutes to chat or if you're on the, you know, whatever it may be, I think, when you don't need anything, you have the best opportunity to grab time with, I think, any VC, frankly. Um, So I think um, think that's helpful or could be. And then uh, the last one is really the the pitch, right? Really telling telling your story. I think everyone loves to hear kind of the the awesome story of like, you're up and to the right and all of that. But like, it's, it's more than that. It's not just that we're doing well, and we've closed X and we've done Y. I think it's it's more so like tell me how you got to X and yeah. why did it make sense for you know that initial customer to to expand potentially or introduce you to your next customer um, and how do you think you know uh, about the next you know year or two in your trajectory and you're raising you know you know z amount of money to help finance these next you know one or two years with these goals in mind, you know, I think it's, you know, it's telling a fully fledged story of, of the whys and the reasons, uh, behind, uh, you know, you know, how the business can be successful. And hopefully, you know, the cherry on top there is why that particular firm, um, you know, could be, uh, you know, a differentiator in the success of, uh, of hopefully trying to, to kind of turn on some of these next couple milestones, right? Like they're not going to run run the yeah. company for you, but but you know maybe there's you know a, a, a network or maybe there's a person or a great a large portfolio that could be you know customers or you know what have you. Yeah, and there's a lot of things there that I think are important and and understanding like putting the time into the research to understand who the investors are you're talking to and what they can bring one from just your perspective of an entrepreneur of understanding how they can help you. But yeah, are they the right people, you know, for you in the first place? And I Definitely. think what you, what you mentioned as well around the whys, it's like, yeah, understanding that, yeah, if we're up into the right, well, why, why is this going to continue as well? Like, you know, it's one thing to get that, but then is it going to continue and why is that going to happen and what's the team going to be? And there's so many things that go into then scaling from there as well. And, um, kind of changing gears a little bit here, but just on the note of investing and understanding there's like diverse founders and we know how very, very little goes into whether it be women or people of color and investing as well. How are you helping on that side of things being an investor of color yourself? Like how are you helping on that side of things, Brent? Yeah, no, yeah, it's a great question. Yeah, it's, it's, um, it's huge. And this is part of, frankly, it's been, it's, it didn't take, you know, more um violence and uh unnecessary deaths to bring that to the the forefront like this has been a discussion that's gone on for many many years right um yeah and just want to kind of put that out there um 
Secondly, in terms of kind of me, so um, I, uh, on a couple different fronts, I think the, the biggest one being uh, Black VC. Um, yep. So I co-lead um, what we're doing around uh, Black VC and some of the initiatives here in LA. Uh, and then also do some stuff uh, at a at a more national level, but much more focused here in LA. Um, and really, kind of the mission of Black VC is is multi pronged, right? Um, I think we get I've gotten this question a lot of like, hey, are we focused on kind of enabling more uh, you know black venture capitalists, um, or are you more so focused on founders? And how do you how do you balance those two? Um, yeah. my, my personal, so focused on both personally, uh, as an organization, uh, focused on, uh, black venture, venture investors. Uh, and for me, the reason why I joined, um, uh, is not because, uh, you know, it was about getting, just getting more black, you know, young black, you know, up and coming, you know, investors into the space. Like what I loved about, uh, Sydney and, and Frederick's vision was that it, it's about scaling them, yeah. right? Like there's, the, my goal isn't to help, you know, increase the amount of analysts. I, yes, that's step A, but step B is like, I want to help, like help you build a trajectory here that, you know, gets you, you know, moving up the ranks, whether that be senior associate, principal, like check writing ability. Right, whatever that means, right. like your home firm, um, that is what I'm extremely passionate about, um, and I feel like that is the most natural way to better support, uh, you know, underrepresented founders as well. Right. So, in addition to you know investing investing directly, but it's also in you know boosting the uh, you know increasing rather the amount of check writers. Um, that can engage, uh, you know, engage with uh, under, underrepresented groups as well, founders. Yeah, and I think it's important you mentioned that, like, this the check writing ability, the decision decision making ability, like getting people in those places. Because, like, yeah. it's one thing to be at a firm; it's one thing to be at a company. But you see the number of like black CEOs in the world of Fortune five hundred companies, and like you know, women CEOs. Like, that, getting people in those positions is that's really what helps to change things. And I know like Arlen Hamilton always mentions uh, from backstage capital of, yep. you know, she doesn't want the, she doesn't want the crumbs. <laughs> you know, she wants the whole thing. It's like, it, it has to be at a higher level. And I think people are getting interested in the space and seeing the potential. And I think understanding what the space even is now, as you, know, you mentioned, like you didn't even know what VC was back in like 2012 or something or 2010. And it, it's changing now. And I'd like to see that people are, are helping others get in that space to then just bring diversity across both sides, you know, both on the investing side and for the entrepreneurs themselves as well. And and diving back into on the the entrepreneurs and helping them as well. I know you you mentioned things about the story and about fundraising and things that are obviously very important on the kind of like team side of things with with entrepreneurs. Anything you would mention to early founders around whether it be thoughts on equity splits, founder agreements, things in that nature? Yeah. Yeah. Um that's a that's a really good point. Um yeah, so I, mean, I guess a couple of things, right? Um, it, I guess depending on how early the stage of the company is, but we'll maybe we're assuming that there, you know, we're uh, a couple people or maybe one single founder and a uh, and an idea, yeah, <laughs> right? Yeah, early, early, uh, early, so early, stage. early <laughs> exactly, exactly, or like the, the idea stage. Um, 
I think if I was to go back, um, it, it would be to find, I think this is, I've just been super fortunate um, in, in my trajectory on the, on the operating side thus far is finding people that complimented, but not, um, they weren't the same type of person that I was. And we yeah. had a very complimentary skill set. So I've typically been more of the BD, like business oriented growth kind of BD person, you know, partnering or working with highly technical people. Yeah. Right. Um, versus, and like, that's not a rule. I mean, there's been, you know, amazing businesses have been built outside of that, but I just feel like when, um, when you're going to market with a technology or kind of software product, um, and you, you know, there's two or three, you know, BD driven folks and you, you don't have like that, that technical kind of counterweight there. Um, especially if you're a first time founder, you may not realize like the level, like when you're, you know, you, maybe you're dealing with an agency or something, which is perfectly fine, or you're outsourced to, you know, some other area, there's great talent all over the world. That's all great. Uh, but what you may not understand is the level of, like you may not understand exactly what you're asking for. <laughs> so when you're, <laughs> when you're saying, Hey, I want, you know, I want this to do this and you're kind of playing the product, putting your product hat on and you're like, you know, kind of going through and making those sort of decisions and ask. And, and I don't think you, uh, you, you run the risk, uh, of not understanding completely what, what you're asking for. So I, I think like having, a balance and early as early as, as you can with uh with a technical even a technical advisor someone like yeah. that would be super helpful um i also you know i, I from a from an equity you know to, to directly answer that question from a founder equity perspective i've seen a, a, a lot I've, I've seen you know some you know two founders one you know it's 90 percent of the business the other one has 10 right like it's just kind of it 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 is definitely a red flag <laughs> at the at the earlier stages, it's kind of like, huh? Like, is this person that motivated, right? Because, uh, like, from a venture standpoint, I, you know, I'm, I'm that's the cap table. One of the first things I look at is just try to understand like what the balance is and what the you know, is there some type of you know mismatch or overweighting in any particular area and like what's the story behind it, right? It's not that it's a good thing or a bad thing. I'm just trying to understand. Um, yeah. Because theoretically, I mean, hopefully you're partnering with people that are going to dedicate the next seven to 10 years of their life doing this, right? And are they going to do that at the early stages with, you know, 10% um, of the, you know, of the implied value uh, of the company? And then exactly to start and then you're going to get diluted over time. And at some point it's not going to make, you know, life sense, for, for them. And so like, I, I tend to like to see, you know, 50, 50, or there's been some cases, you know, there's obviously like edge cases, but I, I think just understanding on both ends, if you're the person with 10%, it's like, does this make a life decision sense for you? And if you're a person that's overweighted towards, you know, a higher amount or what have you, it, I'd be asking them the same question. Like, Hey, are you in this? Like you, right. Like I want, you know, hopefully, we're, we're, you know, we're both tied up here for the next, however long, usually, a, you know, a long time. Um, and, uh, you know, we'd love to make sure that, you know, we're going, we're going into this, um, you know, in, on equal footing. 
Yeah, I think that's something that it's so difficult to figure that out exactly. But I, I think I like your point of like thinking about the long term, how that's going to affect people uh, in the long term is really important. I know I've interviewed people and one person in particular on the show who mentioned uh, they had an agreement on equity. And I think she like went to bed and then that, that night, the next day I woke up was like, I need to give them more equity because I, I don't feel it doesn't sit right for the long term. And she like thought about how like, oh, this is actually going to affect like their incentives, like having incentives aligned. It wasn't yes. aligned. I and completely I agree. Worth- yeah, and it's worthwhile to have that in the right spot, understanding the motivations of this is going to be a long time. Like, it's not great to start with piss founders in the beginning. Like, you haven't even built anything yet. So. Exactly. <laughs> I, I think I think that is I think that's extremely well said. Um, and I, I maybe to cap it off, like doing doing the right thing isn't that hard. So yeah, and and with your experience and just looking at Greycroft in general as well, and understanding that you invest all the way through basically IPO, like take me through a little bit of thoughts around scaling, uh, what founders should know, or what, you know, even some things just to think about, because uh, I think you're in an interesting spot at Greycroft to maybe have some perspective on that, that uh, founders would be, it'd be useful for them to know. Yeah. Um, yeah. So, and feel free to, again, like, to, to cut me off here if I'm getting, getting too <laughs> but um, I think maybe I'll, I'll answer it from two sides. So from the more of the operating side first, and then on the investing side. Um, one thing that I didn't understand earlier on, uh, which is a very tough thing to, to get concept to understand is that the concept of like, as you scale, sometimes your people don't. And so the group that builds from zero to your seed round, or we'll just call it, we'll do it in, in, in. And revenue, right? So the group that gets you from zero to your first, you know, one to two or one to five million of revenue may not be, and in in some cases isn't, um, the same group that gets you from five to twenty. Yeah. And the group that gets you from five to twenty, it, it to me is is typically definitely not the group that gets you from twenty to a hundred, <laughs> and, and, and may, maybe. Maybe they, it's not that people leave the company or anything like that, but like, there's just, you want to start to, uh, you know, bring in folks that have had that sort of experience that you're, or or get that sort of experience from advisory perspective or from an investment perspective. So you, so you, you know, don't have to, you know, go out and try to hire someone, right. That may be uh, a bit more expensive at the earlier stages, you know, in the trajectory of your business. Right. Um, And I think on the operating side, it was, uh, an interesting uh, just understanding that well, I think we all had to develop the companies that had the opportunity to work work with and uh, colleagues uh, had uh, had the opportunity to work for um, is that you know folks those are two those are three four different types of kind of like archetypes of like builders right um, so I think that's, that that was probably the biggest lesson I learned on that end um, speaking to scale from like an investment standpoint right it's it's a balance of not just people and what, who moves you from step one to step two or what have you, but also, you know, uh, the business itself. It's like, how do yeah. you set up contract, even on the enterprise, like BDB side, like how do you set up contracts in a way that enables like natural scale, right? Where you're saying, hey, look, the TCV for this contract is X amount. Uh, y amount is what we're getting paid, you know, upfront. How do I align 
the expansion to capture the full TCV of this contract in a way that it, it aligns with with the milestones on our product team. Yeah. Right. Like, how do we? Like, how do you do that on a, on a one off basis? And then how do you assure ensure rather that that those product milestones are not just aligned with that one customer, but along all of your customers or as many of them as you can. Um, and uh, I, there's a lot more to be said on that end, but that's like another <laughs> area that like, I think is super, I just always found like super interesting. And as I start to work with, um, you know, a lot of our early stage, especially seed um, investments, it's definitely like having those sorts of discussions, right? Um, which customers do you say no to, right? If you have yeah. a large Fortune 500 or, or we'll call it Fortune 10, right? That's saying, hey, look, if you do X, Y, and Z, you know, we'll be a design partner for you at uh, these early days and we'll build that out. Well, how much of that, the, those bill, that product is bespoke or, you know, kind of custom for that customer? Like, is it in the is it in the benefit of the the business to lean in to a large customer in that sort of fashion early on, um, yeah. or is it more so should we you know focus on more your middle market uh, customers, right? But I think there's so there's so much more. I'll stop there. <laughs> but like you know, it, there's 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 a lot that goes behind. There's or there's no right. You know, one one right way to do it. I, I just think that it's, it's as you scale the business. You know, I think the the struggle between ACV <laughs> and product and you know bespoke kind of uh, uh, customer needs and team and you know there's a lot to uh, con consider. Yeah, and one of the things that I had a guest recently mention, uh, which is a great article by Bill Gurley, is all revenue is not created equal. The keys to the 10x yep. revenue club. It goes through a lot of different things in there as well, where it's like, yeah, it's not all the same. You know, your customers are not all the same. You really have to think about that, especially as you're as you're scaling into another level within your business. And that goes back to your point of the team is going to evolve because people don't maybe understand like how to go from that. 5 million to 20 million, 20 million to 100 million in revenue. It could be a lot different based on like different factors that change. Those customers have to change. A lot of different things will evolve within that as well. And so it's just fascinating to build a company and to Definitely. hear about these companies and these problems they have. And like, <laughs> you know, it's not the same problem or you might have one problem, you think you solved it. And then as you grow, you have to come back to it again. Like it's just, it's constant, which is, which is fun about it as well. And I want to be respectful of your time. So I just want to, one of the last things I'm curious about always is any particular books, whether it be personal or professional that have been impactful for you, Brent? Oh, that's a great question. Um, look, my, my favorite, um, my favorite book, uh, is this book called good to great. Um, yep. absolutely loved it. <laughs> I just, it was one of, I saw, I, it's been many years since I've read, since I've, I, I have it, I've read it multiple times, but I'm trying to remember the first time I read it. It was probably I don't know, a while, a while back. And um, it's just one of those things, like when you, you know, it, it kind of opens, I kind of lifts the veil a bit on, um, on what is happening inside of very large companies and the decisions that, you know, some of the, you know, best executives and these kind of household names had to think through and how did they make that decision and was it good or was it bad or did they not make that decision? 
and, and how did it how did it affect them? Um, again, you know, it's just kind of like that the managing of the business, like through the uh, you know through different waves. Um, and uh, I loved it, so I, I, I'm a huge fan of that. <laughs> it's a good one. Yeah, by I believe Jim Collins was the, the author exactly. Well. And and uh, where can people go to learn more about Graycroft? Uh, connect with you or follow along with what you're 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 up to. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, we're, uh, definitely come to, come to the website for sure. We, um, uh, I'm, I also am like pretty fairly active, like on LinkedIn. I don't post much, but I'm, I'm, I'm typically on there. A good deal. <laughs> <I'm> lurker. <laughs> exactly. I'm a lurker. Um, and, uh, and I'm around, you know, I'm, I'm, I live, uh, in LA area. Uh, so feel free to, uh, to reach out and um, we can uh, we can take it from there. Awesome. Brent, really appreciate the time today. Thank you so much for coming on the show. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. I appreciate the opportunity. Thank you for listening to this episode of Just Go Grind. I really appreciate you taking the time to listen. The Weekly Grind, which is my weekly newsletter, comes out every single Friday. You can find it at justgogrind.com slash newsletter. This is filled with tips, tools, and strategies for growing your business. If you want to know how to launch a business, how to grow it, how to get it off the ground, find employees, all these different things. There's a few tips, tools, and strategies every single week I deliver right to you. Justgogrind.com slash newsletter. Check it out. Thank you so much for listening. Talk to you in the next episode.